I want to take this session and kind of pick up a little bit where we left off in the last one and, um, and really talk about specifically this idea of building a team um, around you and the importance of that and, and just give you some really practical um, quick how-tos. Let me say this off the front, and this is by no means meant to be a commercial because uh, that's not what I'm trying to do, but I've got about 25 minutes to talk about something that I use that I will that I teach as a course through my blog that lasts several weeks, okay? So um, if you have questions after this, by all means, you can come ask me, but um, really, I would just encourage you to to head to thelongerhall.com and check it out there. Um, it's just the best way for me to tell you to do that, whether it's just faster for you. But I'm going to do my best to give you as much as I can here. Again, that's not, I don't really care if you go there or not. You can find it somewhere else. That's great. But as far as what I'm going to give you, that's, it's going to echo that the most, if that makes sense. Um, so we talked about, when we talk about building youth ministry teams, I want to start by explaining why you need a team. Um, I think it's, we all have them, but we're just not really sure what to do with them. Um, I was telling somebody earlier that there's a, a youth pastor that I, um, that I mentor, and when I first met him, he had been in youth ministry in his first position for about six months, and we had, we had lunch together. Zach Mabry actually introduced him to me, and we sat down and had lunch, and he said, you know, I've been here six months. Everybody hates me. I don't know what I'm doing, and I have this youth committee, and I don't know what they're for. Um, and just really, really bothered. And so we, we kind of started walking through some of that. And, and he and I would kind of uh, meet once a month just get via Skype and kind of walk through some things. And really helping him establish what the youth committee was for and what to do with the leaders that he had. So in, in the case of youth ministry teams, typically you kind of approach this in two ways. One, you, you get hired and you come on staff at a position or you, you take over, whether it may be in a volunteer role or by vocational but you take over the position of, of youth pastor, and there's already people in place, which is, uh, which is great, because that means that you don't have to go and find as many people. Uh, sometimes you have, uh, in some situations where you have people that maybe aren't in the best place, the student ministry maybe isn't the best position for them, um, and, and, and so you've got to kind of deal with, with some of those things. My situation was really, was really unique in, in in that when I came on staff, there were already uh, 20-something adults working with the students, and most of them were parents, and they were, they were all awesome. And we were, we've been able to retain uh, almost all those folks. So it's been, that part has been great. But you're always going to be needing to get new people onto, onto your team. So when, it come, when we come to talk about building a team, you've got to understand uh, there's a few reasons you need a team. One, uh, you, you can't do everything. Even in, I don't, I don't care how big or small your ministry is, you can't do it all. There's just too many things to manage and do. And even if you can do them all, you shouldn't be doing them all. Okay? Um, so one of the things that I hear a lot, and uh, a friend of mine named Aaron Hellman, who has a, a website called Smarter Youth Ministry, just, just wrote about this. And we were talking about like teaching length, like sermon length. And there, there's a lot of um, people who would say, you can't go too long. It's got to be pretty short or the, the students lose, you know, their attention span is too short. And maybe for your middle schoolers, that's really probably more true than so for your high school. But I think what 
what he said, which I think he's right on point, is it's not that your teaching time is too long. It's that they're hearing you too long. So you're getting up. You're doing the welcome. You're leading a game. You're doing a prayer request. You're doing this. You're leading the band. You're, and then you get up to teach. Well, they've already been listening to you for 25 minutes. Um, so now you're going to teach 30 and that's, that's a long time. Um, and, and, I mean, we teach a while at our folks, and our, our students are just pretty connected in there. So you just need people around you. Um, so you can't do everything. Second, you're not good at everything. I know that's hard to admit, but you're just not good at everything. There's going to be some things that you're just not good at, and there are people around you that are better at them. And so you need, you need, that, uh, you need that in place. Also, you're not going to connect with every student. There are going to be some students who come through your ministry that are great students who you will love dearly, who just will, you just will not connect you know, that, that well with. And so having people on your team, a team of people around you, helps ensure that every student who comes through your ministry will connect with somebody uh, along the way. And, and and so if you can get, the more adults you can get around a student, investing in the life of the student, the better it is for them spiritually. And, and that has been proven over and over and over again, even with all the research that's come out of, of the students leaving the church and leaving the ministry, which my opinion is a little overinflated anyway, because we're not factoring in campus ministries, which students go to college, get plugged into, and that becomes church. It's a whole nother session and issue, but... Um, we're, nobody's really looked until recently of why they're staying. So there's a guy named Steve Parr with the Georgia Baptist Convention who's done some research on that. He's got a book coming out, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, he was on my podcast back in, in episode seven. And one of the things uh, that, that he found is obviously more adults investing in life of a student is better. And um, I heard at a conference once, and I was trying to remember where it was or who said it, but that a, there was a professor who at a Christian college who surveyed the students in his class because he said, hey, here are students who stayed, obviously, in church. And he was asking them uh, kind of to get some feedback to identify what it was that was common in their life that allowed them to stay in church and plugged in their faith. And one of the things that he found was that if at least seven godly adults invested in the life of a student, there was almost a 100% chance they would stay in church when they graduated. That's great odds and easy to do, right? Seven. And that can be a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a neighbor, a youth pastor, a small group leader. I mean, the, so more adults is better and, uh, and, and you need them ar- around you because you're not good at everything. You can't do everything. You can't be everywhere at the same time. Uh, and you're not going to really connect. And there's other reasons, but those are kind of the big three um, that I think of when it comes to that. Well, before you can start really building your team, you have to understand what, what your vision is for the ministry. And it needs to somewhat align with the ministry of the church that you're serving under. Um, if you do not and cannot articulate the vision for your ministry and what God has called you to do as a student ministry, you're not really going to be able to build, build a team around you that will help you move forward in any capacity because you have nothing to really invite them into. Okay? So one of the biggest mistakes, here's the big mistake everybody makes. I'm going to give you the biggest mistake when it comes to recruiting, and I'm going to give you the way to do it right. Okay, if I give you nothing else from this session, these two things alone will be worth it. The biggest mistake that everybody makes is they recruit on need. They recruit on need. Almost everybody in any capacity will recruit on need. And need, recruiting on need, uh, sounds like this. We really need somebody to come lead our seventh grade boys small group. 
There's just nobody to do it, and these guys are awesome, and they just need a leader to step in. Could you come, and, and would you pray about that? Because that's how we spiritually guilt somebody and then do it. And they say, yeah, I'll pray about it, which is the spiritual way of saying, heck no. And then, and then we, we go, I just don't pray about it. Just do it, okay? <laughs> Let's not over-spiritualize this. Um, okay, so we, we, we need base, right? We need somebody to come help on Wednesday night. We need, now listen, you've got needs for your ministry, and that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you recruit based on need, what you will get is people who just fill that need. And they won't stay. Because in their mind, it's always a temporary assignment until you can find somebody else who really wants to do it. Does that make sense? Um, so that's the big mistake everybody makes. And, and here's, let me give you an illustration to help you understand what this, what this looks like. It would be as if we were all on a boat, on a sailboat, crossing a lake. And the boat sprung a leak in the bottom. There's water coming in and we got to plug the holes, right? So I'm just filling holes so the boat doesn't sink. That's need-based recruiting. I got holes in my ministry and I got to put people in them so the ministry doesn't sink. We can sustain and stay afloat. That's need-based ministry. And when you, when you recruit like that, you're going to get just crazies, okay? And, and the way that you recruit typically based on need is you'll do it in the bulletin, you'll do it from the pulpit, You'll do it from announcements. You'll do it through email. You'll do it at your parents' meetings. But it's all like, it all comes across begging and desperate. And so people feel sorry for you, and they will step up to serve in, in that moment, in that time. And that's need-based recruiting. And if you do that, the people that you're going to get are not going to be committed to the ministry. They're not going to be committed to you. They're not going to really care about the vision or what God's doing. They're just there to help you and to help the students and help the ministry. They're probably wackos and people you don't want anyway that you would never ask. And that's just, that's who you're going to get. Okay. So that's the big mistake. Now, the way to do this correctly is to recruit through vision. Okay. To recruit through vision. Everything in your ministry, whether we talk about longevity from the earlier session or we talk about recruiting, centers and hangs around vision. Recruiting on vision, if recruiting on need is plugging holes in a sinking ship, recruiting on vision is raising the sails so the boat can move. Okay? You with me? And so recruiting on vision would say something like this. Hey, I just, I just want to talk to you for a minute uh, about what God's doing in our seventh grade boys small group. And he, he's really... We've got a great group of guys, and I can really see God beginning to really raise up a group of godly men. They're beginning to get excited uh, about things happening in the church. They're beginning to really be burdened for, your, uh, for their friends, and they're inviting people. They're really beginning to love God's Word. We're just seeing God do so many amazing things right there. And I just want to pray. I just want to ask you to pray about uh, coming on and being a part of what God is already doing in the lives of those boys. You see the difference? I'm still, there's still a need there, right? But what I'm doing now is I'm not asking them to come fill a hole. I'm asking them to come be a part of what God is already doing in our ministry. And, and nobody, nobody who is, first of all, if they're the wackos that we talked about a minute ago, they're not going to agree to that because that is really intimidating, Right? So the people that you get are going to be people who really want to see God do something and they want to be used to do something. Um, and, and, and so the people that you get through, through recruiting through vision, then they are going to be more committed to the ministry. They're going to be deeply committed to those, those the boys or whatever the group is that you're, or the need is that you're recruiting for. Okay. They're going to be really committed to that. They're going to stay longer in your ministry 
because they're going to be committed to it for the longer haul, the, for the vision that you've cast down, down the line. Does that, does that make sense? And so th- the biggest problem that we often have is that we recruit on need and we don't recruit on vision. And again, if you can't articulate your vision for the ministry, you probably don't need to be doing ministry. Okay? Um, and let me just say, it needs to line up with the church. If the church is driven and they're doing a Sunday school model and you think Sunday school is old and outdated, which, by the way, goes against some of the latest trends in research that we're seeing, ironically, then you want to throw things at a small group model only and, and you're really pushing, that's probably, that's how you get fired right there, okay? Um, and it's not going to be successful. There's going to be tension there. So you're casting a vision that's totally going in the opposite direction of your church. And that's a really basic example. It could be anything. You know, if your church is really discipleship heavy and you're wanting to be evangelistic heavy, that's a problem. That's, that's a problem too. So the vision is essential for, uh, for recruiting the people that you need. Okay. So hey, let me tell you how to find people. How about that? Um, first of all, you need to know what you need. And so you need to back up and look at your ministry and see what you need. One of the things that I uh, encourage youth pastors to do is identify what I call the unique calling on their life. And so l- let me phrase it this way. There are some things that God has called only you to do that only you can do. And, and that thing, those things are what I'll call the unique calling on your life and on your ministry, whether you're a lay leader or whether you're a paid staff, those things. Everything else beyond that are potential opportunities for people to come alongside you and be a part of your ministry. You do not have to build the PowerPoint slides. That is not your unique calling. You may even be really awesome at it. But if you're, do, if you're spending... If you're spending three hours building PowerPoint slides to make them awesome and you only have 30 minutes to prep for teaching, that's a problem, right? If you're spending hours trying to find the perfect game and you're not spending time relationally with students, that is a problem. And, and so there are things that you need to be focused on and doing and those things I would categorize as kind of unique calling Everything else, then, is potential for a team to come around you. And you can find those, those people are there, and they love those things. And that's their, man, they would, there's nothing that would make them happier than to be able to sit down and build amazing PowerPoint slides for you because they feel like that is an easy way for them to serve and to really be a part of leading worship. There's a, there's a lady in our church that helps run some of our media stuff on Sunday mornings, and um, she worked with our students for a while. And, and she when she started doing doing that she's she's literally running pro presenter slides that's what she does she doesn't build them she just runs them she just clicks and she said you know i really enjoy this because i feel like i'm helping lead worship and she is she is um and so there there are those things don't under what seems minuscule and minute to you may be a great opportunity for somebody to feel really fulfilled and minister in a way they may be a lousy teacher that just may not be their gift okay but they may be really good at building PowerPoint slides or they may be really lousy relationally at, at, at connecting with people, but, but they don't mind sending out an email, right? It's a conversation. They're not very good at conversation, but they're really good at crafting emails. That's okay. You don't have to send every email, believe it or not. 
That is okay. Um, now, what I'm not saying is delegate everything away. Don't ever ask somebody to do something you're not willing to do, but you need to do that. So here's what I would tell you for homework is to go back and think through and identify what is the unique calling that only God has called you to do, those things that you must do. Like, what is your number one? Okay, there's a book uh, called The One Thing, and I cannot remember the name of who wrote it right now, but I will make sure I get that to these guys. And the, the precept behind the book is like, you need to identify what is the one thing in your life that is the most important priority, that is such a priority to you that you will say no to everything else to make sure that one thing happens. Okay, just focus in on something like that. And so sometimes as a youth pastor, we lack that, that focus and, and being able to identify what those things are. Um, so identify those things and then make a list of all the other things that you do on a regular basis, a week-to-week basis, that are not necessarily in those things. And then you can begin to look and identify people who can help, help you plug in um, and, and kind of help you with some of those things. Now, I don't care if you're at a, a really big church or a really small church. The difficulty in finding people is always the same. Okay? Always the same. You would think that the bigger the church, the easier it is to find people. But that's not true because the bigger the church, the more people you have to find. Okay? So if you're running a ministry of 500, you need 50 people. Where if you're running a ministry of, of 15, you might need three. So it scales. So it's not that you're like, oh, I'm just a small church. We can't ever find anybody to help. Or No, because listen, the, people, the guys at the big churches... We're dying trying to find help a lot of times because you just need so many more people. And so it scales up. So I would tell you to do this. Once you have, your, um, once you have those things identified in those places and those roles, then you start looking for people and start praying, really praying for God to bring those people to you. They're in your church. You just may not know them. Especially youth pastors are really bad about not knowing the church. They know the students and they know parents. And usually just the students who get in trouble parents okay um and so knowing those people asking other people who who would be good to help you with that if they know anybody that would be good um and then start with parents they have the the most invested interest in what you're doing so start with parents and ask parents um go to grandparents if you need to ask your existing help if you've got a couple folks or some people that work with you now ask them that they will know and they are a great resource. If you already have people, man, they are a great resource because they understand exactly what it's like to work with you and underneath you, which is not, let me just tell you, as easy or as rosy as you think it is, all right? And so they can really give and portray an accurate, uh, you know, example of what it's like to be, to be there and working with your student ministry. And so a lot of the folks that we get a lot of our new leaders that come on board really come on because uh, our leaders help identify those people. And I'll say this too. We talked earlier in the first session about longevity and building a culture. When you build a strong culture of longevity in your ministry that is very much driven by vision, a clear vision, you won't have to recruit much because they begin to recruit for you. And that's been our case the last couple of years is... I've had to I've had to turn away a couple folks just because at the time we really didn't have a place to put them. Uh, and it, listen, that is rare, and that won't always be the case. But um, but that you know I'd rather have that problem. And that we found some areas for them to get plugged in and to help and to serve, but I didn't have spots for them to to do what they were asking to help with. 
Um, and that is because our leaders do a great job of inviting other leaders and helping identify other people to, to bring on and to bring in board. Okay, so uh, once you've identified those needs of what you need with an understanding of, of why you need the team and you start to go look for people, then you need to know, you know the role you want them to fill. I want you to think through the time commitment that it's going to take. This is really important. Because if they're teaching a small group for you that lasts 30 minutes, they've got to prep outside of that, hopefully. And you're probably going to want them to also contact those small group you know, students during the week at some point. And you're probably going to want them to be involved in their life beyond that one meeting. right? And you're probably going to want them to show up to like a meeting with your team so you guys can meet together. And so add all that up so that when you come and you offer that to them, and I, job description, man, we, we have a manual, a handbook that I put together that's about 70 pages long. Uh, it's probably a little overkill. Um, that really walks through everything. And, and, and in that is, hey, if, you're, if I'm asking you to teach a, a, a Sunday morning small group for us, this is what it requires of you. This is the expectations of what you're expected to do. And this is how much time it will take you on a Sunday morning. This is how much time it should take you outside of Sunday morning on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis. If I'm asking you to come and help and be an outreach leader within that, here's the time commitment that it would require for you. Because everybody's busy, right? So if you're asking me to do something and and it sounds like it's a lot of time and I don't have the time, uh, I'm going to say no. But if you can show me how much time and that fits in my schedule... I'm much more likely to say yes or vice versa. If it sounds like something I really want to do, you don't want what you don't want is somebody to say, yeah, I would love to do that. They come on and get on board and start helping serving and they're, they legitimately just do not have the time to do it like you wanted them to. It would have been better to find somebody who had the time. Does, does that make sense? So being able to be really specific with what you're asking, how much time commitment that is going to require of them. Um, and, and what the expectations are is really, really helpful and important um, in that. Beyond that, once you have those folks in place, you have them uh, on your team, you're going to want to be really consistent with training, and you're going to want to meet pretty consistently. That can look different in different contexts. For us, we meet once a month through the school year. Um, and generally speaking, a little bit of that time is reserved for kind of in-house meeting stuff and then we try to to also use a lot of those more of training opportunities and sometimes we're bringing people in or sometimes doing that now the last probably year or so we've had a lot of changes coming because i'm at that five and a half year mark and so we're walking through a lot of that together but equipping folks you may have people who have served in youth ministry for 20 years but i would hope that we're all still learning you know and and so there's some great resources for that that are out there that you can find pretty pretty inexpensively uh, a lot of video driven trainings if you don't feel adequate to do that but there's there's people around you uh, as well other youth pastors youth leaders that you can bring in um, to to help do that but you know what the needs are for your folks and it's probably not a bad idea to have them evaluate themselves uh, at some point so they can tell you well I you know I feel like I'm teaching I'm really strong but I'm not really sure how to do this side or I need help learning how to prep better or communicate better or that in that manual and handbook that we give out we tell them how to take role 
There's a picture of the roll sheet in there. Here's how to take roll because I want them to know exactly what I'm asking. Uh, here's how to fill out a visitor card when a visitor comes. If a student comes as a guest, I tell, you, I tell them how to make a phone call. I walk through how to call a student and follow up and how to make that phone call with them. Um, then there's some statistics on the millennials and what we're looking at culturally, the shift there that's happening, um, and then just some resources for them. I, I would highly encourage you to do something like that for your leaders. When I go to recruit a new leader, it's really helpful, unless you're Chuck, and I keep forgetting to give it to you, um, is, is come and say, hey, uh, I give them, you know, I'm, I'm asking them to come and be a part of what, what God's doing in our ministry. Let me give you this manual. You can see exactly what I'm asking and expecting of you. And if you have questions, let me know. I'll call you next week sometime and follow up. And that, almost every question they would have, I've answered in that manual. And so that helps me without having to, to answer a lot of questions, spending time with them. And it helps them not have to chase me down to ask the questions. Does that make sense? And it doesn't, I mean, like I said, mine's like, like 70 pages because I'm just ridiculously anal. But yours could be 10 pages. And that would be fine. You know, just whatever those things are, do that. Um, a great place to start is a parents' meeting in the fall, if you've not already done that. Um, when you sit down with your parents' meeting, have that list. Hey, here's what we're going to need for the year. We're going to need D-Now hosts. We're going to need drivers. We need people to provide snacks. Um, you know, all, all whatever those things are. I'm, I'm looking for help for this, for that. And, uh, and then one of the things that I do, on a side note, has nothing to do with building a team, is I also put out a calendar for parents, a prayer calendar. And I ask them to pick a day that they will commit to pray for me and my family and our ministry uh, that day every month. And, uh, and so it's, you know, maybe they pick the fifth of every month. So every, the fifth month of every month, I know. There's, how different would your ministry be if every day you woke up and you knew there was somebody in your church praying for you today? Right? And that's super simple to do. So we've started doing that the last couple of years. And um, it's been really, really good. Okay, beyond that is keeping the team and, uh, and, and just a couple things that are really important for keeping the team. Communicate well. If you don't communicate well, your team will be frustrated and they will quit. Um, so we use a great free tool called Slack. Um, I like it. Do you all like it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they like it. They're, they're not going to tell me. Um, I don't care if they like it. Okay. Slack is free. It's an app. It's a web-based thing. Um, it's basically a one-stop hub for all communication. So I get hundreds of emails, and if somebody emails me, I have to really search for it. It gets buried pretty easily, and I get a bajillion text messages from students, lots of group text um, messages that I just get roped into. And you can remove yourself, which is great, but they just add you right back, and that's not so great. So Slack is good because you can direct message in there. Uh, you can, there's, it's, think of like an old-school forum. So on the left are some channels. You can add people to certain channels, maybe announcements, events, prayer requests whatever, and post in those. You can tag people in them so that they get notifications on it. You can upload documents to it, and it saves it all, and it's all really searchable and easy to do that. The, the best example of, of how that works was for us in the spring for D-Now, trying to arrange transportation to get everybody to and from. It's a little hectic when you finish early and go. We had people transporting that weren't necessarily there, and I didn't have to text you know a whole bunch of people. I could put one message in one place, and everybody got it and showed up. And, and so it's really easy. But just communicate well, encourage like crazy, and play together. Um, you know, just, just do life together and build a real strong sense of community 
uh, around around them and and just pray for each other you know pray for one another but if you can't if you can't build a strong team you'll never last and you'll be super frustrated and you'll always be tired and it doesn't matter if you're full-time or volunteer or anything in between you've got to have a team around you especially if you're a volunteer or, or bivocational you just can't do it and so even if it's just a we have a um we have like our youth leaders that really help and serve on a consistent basis for us and then I have a parent leadership team that we meet four times a year probably. And it's just a group of parents that, uh, that I know and trust that are going to give me honest feedback. Not always good and easy. They're going to be honest. And they help shape a lot of what we do. And, and so, again, those parents have a real big investment um, in, into your ministry. And then I'll just say this last thing. Don't feel like you have to have this amazing, huge team of people to accomplish a lot. Don't look at a bigger church and what they have and feel like you have to have that. You, you don't. You shape your ministry and your team based on your need and your context. You may need three people, and that's more than you need. You, know, you may need ten people. You, know, you may need five people. You may need 50 people. I, I don't, you just got to fill those needs in your own context. So as you identify those spots and those places, that will really, really help you. But I'll tell you this, if I could, and I'll just reiterate, go back to this. If I can tell you one thing right now, it would be when you go to recruit, make sure you recruit on vision and not need. Um, I mean, gosh, I can't tell you how important that is. And that's the big mistake that everybody makes um, in, in and through that. So uh, let me pray for y'all and we'll give you a, you're going to come somebody. Okay, switch around. Okay. Lord, thanks so much for these youth leaders and youth workers. Again, I pray that you would help us, God. There's so many needs in ministry. And uh, there's no doubt our churches are full of exactly what we need. And the people that we need, I pray that you would help us to identify them, God, that you would call them out um, to, to serve in and within our ministries. And, uh, and God, that you would deepen our ministries. You would deepen the relationships with the students. That you would allow these adults to invest in the hearts and lives of our students so that they can continue to grow um, and pursue you. And God, just be with us the rest of this day and help us, God, just to continue to be teachable, moldable, and shapeable. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.